Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Lou Solomon with Interact Studio, and this is Human Touch. We're so happy. Welcome to the folks who are in the Zoom room and also to friends joining us on the live stream on YouTube. Just so happy that you're with us this morning. We are here to have conversations with authentic people who are making a difference and doing really meaningful work. And that sure includes our guest this morning. Tina Postel is a very good friend of mine and she is CEO of Loaves and Fishes and Friendship Trays. And first of all, thank you for coming, Tina. Well, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to see you again, Lou. I'm sorry it can't be in person, but Zoom works. That's right. Zoom works in the meantime. So in many ways, we were grateful for that. But let's just jump in. It's such a meaningful topic this morning. And, you know, first, I'm just curious, Tina, you, you have a master's in organizational leadership for nonprofits, and you've been in nonprofit work your whole career. And I, I just wonder when... Did you decide to, I mean, were you five years old when you decided that you were going to, to work in nonprofits? I was not. I was five years old and I was certain I was going to be a doctor. And my mother was all on board with that, right? Went to school, uh, started at the University of Iowa at pre-med, and it was one organic chemistry class that just wiped that idea right off the slate. Um, but I found psychology. That's what my undergraduate degree is. And psychology is the study of behavior and people. And so, uh, you know, my dad tried to talk me out of it. He's like, well, Tina, you're good at math. Female accountants can make good money. And so, I, you know, I didn't listen to either of my parents. And I went and got a degree in psychology. And my first job out of college was in a nonprofit group home where troubled children lived. And I made, this is going to age me a bit, I made $6.50 an hour with my college degree, and we served some of the most severely disturbed children in the state. It was Iowa at the time, and, um, and I didn't know what I was thinking. I probably could have made more money working at my local Taco Bell, but I hung in there, and I watched these kids come in you know, after experiencing tremendous trauma, and I watched them over the course of months make connections to us staff members and get better. And you want to talk about a huge emotional paycheck. I knew hook, line, and sinker. I was in the nonprofit sector for the remainder of my career. It, it, it is worth all of the rewards. It's very fulfilling work. Well, and aren't we all blessed that, that that's true for you because your, your trail behind you in this world is, is filled with some, some great work. Well, tell me this. I, I see that you came to Charlotte from Billings, Montana. Now, and before that, you were in Chicago and you were doing development for the Rialto Square Theater. So how do those dots connect? What, what's the right? journey? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of jumping around in there. Well, I will always the nonprofit sector. Well, I will tell you the secret was that we were following my husband's for-profit paycheck. So we moved around the country a time or two, and I was always able to then just land in a new community and find a job that spoke to my heart. And so I've worked for a wide variety of nonprofits from the arts to you know, residential care to now I'm the food lady. Um, and, and it's just been a rewarding career. But the great news is, is no matter where you move, nonprofits are always hiring. They always need people with a passion and a dedication 
to the cause. So I've knock on wood, I've never had issues finding a job that speaks to my heart, no matter where we land. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, prior to starting the program, you were telling us about the merger with friendship trays, which I don't know if it's so recent, if everybody is aware of that. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So loaves and fishes, we're a network of emergency food pantries. So we provide groceries to people in need. And there was this other great nonprofit here in town called Friendship Trays, which is a local Meals on Wheels program. So they were delivering meals straight to someone's doorstep, somebody who couldn't, could no longer prepare food or was homebound. And the two things just aligned. And so I started meeting with their executive director and we talked about collaboration while well, she was getting ready to retire. And I thought, you know what? We could do this so much better as one organization. When people struggle with food, it's sometimes a complex system to navigate. And so with one phone call, anybody, no matter whether they need meals or whether they need groceries, now they can call us at Loaves and Fishes Friendship Trays and we're the answer or the solution to their, to their temporary problem with food. Yeah, gosh, that's, that's so amazing. And that is a great segue, temporary problem with food. Uh, to ask you about the term food insecurity, I think is, is not brand new, but it's still something that people might not know the technical uh, exclamation or explanation for. And I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about that term and what the main cause is. It certainly sounds fancier than hunger, right? Yeah. We like yeah. to use some fancy terms, but food insecurity in a nutshell comes down to one word and that's access. So people who are food insecure just lack reliable ongoing access to affordable and nutritious food. So it can mean a variety of things. We serve clients that need a one-time, one-time boost. You know, the car breaks down and they have to either pay to fix the car or put food on their table this week. Or at Meals on Wheels, you know, we help people after surgery and they might need meals for six weeks. Or we might help somebody for many, many years, uh, per, you know, have meals delivered to their home so they can stay in their home and have somebody check on them every day. So food insecurity can mean a variety of things, and it can mean a variety of, of time periods. Some are very infrequent. Some face ongoing chronic food insecurity needs. Um, but it all comes down to access to fresh, healthy, affordable food. Yeah, yeah. And Tina, Tell us about what COVID has done. We all watched the, the lines of folks in various states who hadn't experienced this before. How, how has COVID affected you right here in, in our home state? Well, I, I will tell you, none of us are bored. Um, and none of, my, none of my staff team and none of my volunteer teams, we're not caught up on Netflix. So if you want to talk to us about what shows we're binge watching, None of us can have a, a coherent conversation about that. Um, but a good mentor of mine always said, never let a crisis go to waste. And so we took this opportunity. We knew there were going to be thousands of people who were experiencing food insecurity, many for the first time ever. And so we knew we had to pivot in a new and dramatic way. And so one of the first things that we did was we had to go mobile. 
you know, at our emergency food pantries, we always prided ourselves on allowing people to come into our brick and mortar locations. They would push around a shopping cart and we made it as, as wonderful and as dignified of, a, of an experience as possible. But all of our pantries were run by older adults, many of whom were retired, 70 years old or more. And when COVID hit, every health practitioner was saying, if you are 65 and older, please take care of yourself. So we had to shut down those brick and mortar locations overnight, and we had to figure out how to operate mobily. Well, lucky, lucky for us, our friends at Friendship Trays had been delivering meals in the community to people's doorsteps you know, for 45 years. So we followed their lead and we began our first ever grocery home delivery program, especially for folks who were testing positive for COVID-19. We didn't want them coming to our drive-through mobiles if they were supposed to be at home quarantining. So we continue that program to this day. We're delivering groceries three days a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. We're the Instacart for people who can't afford Instacart. Um, but for those uh, who are able to get out and about, we just operate out of parking lots instead. You might see one of our big bright red trucks in a parking lot. We unload all the food. People drive through the lines like you saw on the nightly news. And we can serve up to 500 individuals, believe it or not, in 90 minutes. They simply pop open the trunk of their car or the back seat of their car, and we load them up with non-perishable groceries, but also fresh produce that we have available and dairy products and fresh meat and off they go. So we long for the day we can return to client choice where they get to come back in and shop with us. But until that time, we did not stop one day feeding anybody who needed us. Yeah. What was it you told us just prior to the program about the number of turkeys that you've put into the community? So yeah, yesterday was our first day of turkey giveaway. You know, it's, it's Thanksgiving. It's the one holiday that revolves entirely around food. And because my staff team and my volunteers showed up in one day, we distributed turkeys and all the Thanksgiving fixings to over a thousand individuals. So a thousand people are going to have a better Thanksgiving holiday because we came to work yesterday. And that work's gonna continue up until the day before Thanksgiving. So if I have dark circles under my eyes on the <laughs> Zoom call, it's, it's just because we are busy feeding people. Oh gosh, I got a wave of goosebumps there. And being busy feeding people takes volunteers. Tell oh us about goodness. yours. You know, I, get, I feel bad sometimes because I get the spotlight. I get to talk about all the great work we do. But right now, as we speak, there are people out in my warehouse, there are people out in those parking lots, and they're truly the ones that are doing the heavy lifting. So I only have 35 staff members here at Loaves and Fishes Friendship Trays, and we feed thousands of people. Last year in 2020, we fed 120,000 individuals. So it is, it is only by that army of volunteers who come back day after day and year after year you know, you, you, get, you get hooked on serving people and feeding people feels good. So I am, I'm tremendously blessed by the incredible army of volunteers that we have here. Yeah, gosh. Well, what's one of the greatest misperceptions about food insecurity, Tina? I think that people uh, think they know what mm -hmm. is at risk here and the kind of percentages we have right here in Mecklenburg County. But what would you say is out there in terms of the greatest misperceptions? 
Well, and I will tell you, I had these same misperceptions. I was new to loaves and fishes just six years ago. I came from a YMCA and United Way work. So I had never worked in food security, food insecurity before. And so in my mind, if, you know, if I close my mind and pictured a hungry person, what, what we often picture is perhaps that homeless individual that you might see on the side of the road, right? A panhandler holding a, holding a cardboard sign saying, we'll work for food. We've had 120,000 people last year. And yes, a handful of them were homeless, but we're providing a week's worth of nutritionally balanced meals and groceries. Homeless individuals don't have anywhere to store that. So typical clients that we're seeing in our pantries or that we're delivering groceries to are hardworking moms and dads, seniors on limited incomes and children. And so that was shocking to me to see just people that look like you and I shopping in our pantries. Homeless, yes, certainly homeless people are indeed hungry, but they are not the vast majority of people who suffer from food insecurity. Yeah. And how do we rank, Tina? What does Mecklenburg County and North Carolina, how do we stack up? Well, I will tell you, it's, it's not a proud statistic. North Carolina certainly makes the top 10 for food insecurity among the 50 states. And 15% of Mecklenburg County, 15% of our population here in Mecklenburg County are food insecure. So 46% of who we serve at Loaves and Fishes Friendship Trays are children and seniors. So we have our work cut out for us. And you talk about nutrition. Uh, it's not simply access to food, but also to nutri nutritious foods, which is something that we talk about in terms of food deserts. And speak to us a little bit about that. How is it that the person who might have access to food might not have access to nutritious food? Well, and I will tell you, Lou, if you came here today out to my warehouse, you would see that we get enough Pop-Tarts and soda and baked goods donated. I could feed the world four times over with junk food, right? <sighs> but that's not my mission at Loaves and Fishes Friendship Trays. We want to get fresh, healthy food into the hands of people who need it. When we surveyed our clients, 68% of our clients reported being diagnosed with one or more chronic diseases. So while I'm grateful for the Pop-Tart donations, if somebody's suffering from diabetes or kidney disease or high blood pressure, in the long run, that junk food is just going to make their long-term conditions worse. So we work with many partners and local farms to try and get fresh, healthy food donated, or we purchase fresh, healthy food. So, you know, Pop-Tarts on occasion are good for you. But that is not the staple that we want to provide. So when we are delivering food, whether it be meals or groceries, we're delivering food from all five food groups. We want people to have fruits, vegetables, dairy, proteins, and grains. And that, that takes a village to make that happen. Yeah. Is there a geography to the need or is it uniform? What about just sheer geography of, of the problem? So I will tell you, we have a we have a food insecurity uh, segregation happening, and it and it happens if you mapped out Mecklenburg County. For those of you watching that live in Mecklenburg County, we have an area known as the Crescent 
which is kind of all the zip codes that go around the city. And that's where the highest poverty rates are. That's where the lowest graduation rates are. That's where the highest health disparities are. And sadly, that's where food insecurity also exists. And then we have this wedge of affluence, um, you know, where wealthier people live, where health is better, graduation rates are better, and food insecurity numbers are better too. So that's where being mobile has really helped us because we can go, we can take a mobile pantry or we can deliver meals right in the neighborhood that needs people the most. And, and sadly it is, you can, you can see the concentrations in the Crescent. Yeah, gosh. Well, you know, it, um, it would help us to know, I think, you know, in terms of what drives it home, an example of a family that you know that has come upon temporary food insecurity and what that looks like to people just like us, too. Well, I will tell you, there are two main drivers. So we always ask people, you know, when, when, we're, when they're getting groceries, what can they then spend that money on? Um, instead of having to buy groceries if they get food from us. And the two main drivers, you know, is that our community, as well as many other parts around the nation, we have a living wage issue. So people are working. Many of our clients are gainfully employed, but they're not making a livable wage. And so if we could increase people's wages, you could, you could lessen my load a little bit. The other really big issue that we have in our area, and I know it happens nationwide too, is we have a housing issue, affordable housing. So just in this last year alone, I just read a report that housing prices in our community went up 16%. And so there's, so, there's another term called housing insecure, meaning that if people are paying more than 30% of their income on housing, that makes them housing insecure. And so if we could solve housing and living wages I, loaves and fishes and friendship trays, we could move on to a different problem to solve. You could help put food insecurity out of business uh, if those were two, two of our biggest drivers. Yeah, it's, it's a complicated network of a, a complicated system, isn't it? Most definitely. That's why, we, that's why we're big in advocacy work too. I mean, it can't just be feeding people. We have to move upstream and we have to be a voice for people who are struggling because if you're busy struggling to put food on your table, you don't have time to call your legislators and, and to speak out about all of the different struggles that you're having. And so we do a lot of advocacy work here at Loaves and Fishes and Friendship Trays. And we are out meeting with our legislators and telling them what we're seeing, these hardworking families or seniors on fixed incomes or veterans that are coming to us food insecure. So we are, we are loud and proud about the work that we do, but also the systemic changes that need to happen to put us out of business. Yeah. Do you see there in the chat, uh, the neighborhoods in Mecklenburg County's Crescent are also food deserts. Has there been any movement in trying to get more grocery stores and access to fresh foods in those food insecure neighborhoods? Well, I will tell you, I have sat in on many, many meetings with different grocery store partners. You know, our grocery store partners have been very generous in donations to Loaves and Fishes Friendship Trays and to our local food bank, our friends at Second Harvest, and they support us financially, but it's a for-profit business. And so if it doesn't make sense to open a grocery store on a street corner, they're not going to do it. 
I think the secret is going mobile. You know, we are currently doing, I called us the Instacart for people who can't afford it. We need to figure out how to get food directly to people's doorsteps in a better fashion. And that's probably cheaper and more efficient than trying to figure out how to get grocery stores on every street corner that needs it. So if I have, if my crystal ball tells me that we need to work on food delivery as opposed to more brick and mortar locations, because every brick and mortar location conversation that I've been a part of, everyone says, yay, it's a good idea. Let's make it happen. And then funding or, you know, red tape, you know, it just, it stalls. Yeah. What, what is your forecast for 2022? What do you see coming? What are your main challenges? What are you concerned about most? Mm-hmm. There's a lot I, here to be concerned about, but I mean, where, how is the path ahead looking to you? Well, it's certainly looking better than 2020. If I never experience another 2020 again, I will, I'll be okay with that. That was certainly a hurricane of food insecurity that we saw. Um, In 2021, we're still seeing high numbers, but nothing like the tsunami that we saw in 2020. Things are are returning to normal, but our normal here at Loaves and Fishes Friendship Trace, we were serving 80,000 people in a normal year. And in my opinion, that's too many people relying on a network of emergency food pantries in order to get fed. So we still have more work to do. Um, I do think that even though the economy is recovering, we have to remember that for people on fixed incomes or low incomes, that economic recovery is so much slower. So it's not gonna happen overnight. You know, everybody thinks about hungry people during Thanksgiving, but we know here at Loaves and Fishes Friendship Trays that we're gonna be busy, not just for the next few weeks, but for the months and years ahead as people slowly get back up on their feet again. Um, so we remain poised and ready. I will tell you the one thing that keeps me up at night, Lou, because I get this question a lot. You know, people worried about, are you worried about running out of food? What concerns me, and it has from day one, is not that we'll run out of food. This is a very generous community. If I put out a call today that I was low on peanut butter, I guarantee you my warehouse would be full of peanut butter from people who care about feeding other people. What keeps me awake at night are all the people who are silently suffering with food insecurity. They think their problem isn't bad enough yet. Well, I still have a few cans or I can make this rice or cereal last longer or somebody needs the food more than I do or they just don't want to be deemed one of those people. There's a lot of stigma and shame and embarrassment in asking for help. And so what keeps me up at night are all of the people that are going to bed hungry or not well-fed because they don't know that we exist or because they're too embarrassed to ask for help. So I put out a plea all the time that if you know a friend or neighbor or somebody that could benefit from our services, you let me worry about how to collect all the food. Help is only a phone call away. Give us a call. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the stigma of, I know when the worst of COVID was happening was that we even heard interviews with folks who said, you know, I used to volunteer for this organization and now I'm a client. Mm-hmm. We had that. We had one of our most active volunteers worked for the airline industry. And we all know what happened to the airline industry during COVID. And so he was coming to volunteer and then had to tell me that he he was going to have to stop volunteering because he had been furloughed and no longer could afford gas. 
So mm -hmm. luckily we were able to hire some people um, temporarily with our COVID funding. And when I told him we would just hire him to help us pack boxes, I mean, tears ran down his face. I mean, he's a grown man, but just so embarrassed and ashamed that, you know, he was had been gainfully employed and now found himself not even able to afford gas money to continue to volunteer here. So mm. it happens to the best of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is, and I'm sure you get this all the time, but if you were to name the most effective way to help loaves and fishes friendship trays, what would that be? Well, I will tell you, there's not just one way. Yeah. We, we have people that need to stay home because of health complications that figured out how to do host virtual food drives from their couch, right? We had volunteers that wanted to come, but because of their age or their health complications. So we figured out ways for them to help. We have phone center volunteers that work from home. So we, there's many, many opportunities. What I would tell you, I know that you, this program is called the human touch, right? So my message to you all would be find a way to connect that works for you. Life is, is not, it, it's not an observation, right? It is a audience participation sport. So get engaged and not even if it's, if hunger is not your passion, there are many other nonprofits in our community or in your community where you live that need your help. They need your brain, they need your heart, they need your resources, they need your connections. Just get involved, whether it's from your couch or whether you bring your brawn or you're delivering meals to someone's home. I don't care if you're making a casserole for your next door neighbor who's battling cancer. Feeding people feels good. Get engaged. Yeah. Jessica has a question, Tina, are there certain restaurants locally that are good about donating food waste? Oh my goodness. So I couldn't even list all the restaurants, all of the grocery stores. We have so many food partners who reach out, uh, local farmers, you name it. I just had a farmer yesterday drop off some leftover pumpkins for people that might want pumpkins. So you name it, we do utilize a lot of donations from incredible restaurants and other food partners. So we're very great. 60% of the food that we distribute comes from donated food. So 60% comes from individuals who donate it. Another 20% comes from our great friends at Second Harvest Food Bank. And then we purchase the remaining to make sure that we have all the dairy and fresh items that we need. But yes, we, it takes a village for sure. Well, you know, we're so happy that you're one of the leaders in our big village because your, your passion and just the, you are such a great communicator. I've always admired your ability to concisely put out there the truth with head and heart. And we just love that you are a part of Human Touch today because it's, it's so appropriate that we learn from you and understand what it is that we can do. And so just thank you, thank you, and happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And we will see you again. Our last Human Touch of the year is on December 15th when we honor Tony Mesia. And he is our Community Voice Award winner for being something of a David on the Charlotte media landscape of so many Goliaths. Um, and we want to be certain that you get a chance to meet him. But again, Tina, you're our girl. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all for listening. I Call me, get involved, get engaged. Let's do it. Let's feed some people. Oh, that's great. Thank you.
Bye, everybody.